Hey Steve, I'm going to start recording if that's right with you. How you doing? Yeah, not bad. So. Good. Uncle duties yesterday, so I'm a bit achy today, but um, other than that, I'm pretty good. On what, sorry? Uncle duties at my Edmonese. Uncle duties. We went nice. to a play barn, so it was, yeah. Cool. <laughs> always fun, <laughs> but I always heard the day after. <laughs> well, that's just only two, so. Cute. Hello, everybody. Cracking conversation coming up for you today. I've got three brilliant searchers here to tell me all about what it's like to be disabled. I'll introduce them in a second. But the place that I wanted to start was with words. I feel like a lot of the fear that people have at the moment is to do with not quite knowing what the right thing to say is. So with that in mind, can you tell me what terms you prefer and what terms you really hate? I call myself chronically divine. <laughs> That's a great, great description. Yeah. <laughs> the chortling, chronically divine voice is Fee Rooney. Her pronouns are she, her, and she's been part of LifeSearch's client support team since 2019. I go for things like less mobile or mobility challenged or if people ask me to describe it, I suppose, but I don't really, there's nothing really I mind. That's Steve Clark, a tele-interviewer or TI. He's been here at LifeSearch since 2016. Oh, so far, anyway. <laughs> um, it's, it's really funny because when you were like, what is your disability? I think I still have a lot of internalized ableism that I'm still unpacking even after 11 years because I'm like, I don't consider myself disabled, but it is still a disability, mm -hmm. you know? So that's like, I don't have any issues with it. Any issues that I have with it are issues that I have to unpack myself. Mm. I'm open to anything at the moment and if there's anything that makes me uncomfortable I'll let you know in a positive way. Would you talk more about that? What was the phrase you used? Internalized ableism? Yeah. I, I can you I think I understand what that means, but can you can you talk about that a bit more? Um so we're all kind of ableists in our own ways because we've all been brought up to live in a world that's a very able body space. It's just when you catch yourself out from like getting frustrated at not being able to do things that other people can do that you should be able to do. But in reality, you, you, you've you got this disability that prevents you from doing it. So for me, when I saw a disability and I was just like, mm, I don't like, like that word, but it's my word. Mm. It's something that I used to describe myself. That would be internalized ableism where I have like this, like I saw that instantly and I had a negative association with it where I shouldn't have that negative association with it. And that's where the internalized ableism is because there's nothing wrong with a disability. It's just you're differently abled from other people. I tend to I, the problem, say the problem I have with the word disability isn't so much offensive, but I always feel a little bit like, not faking is not the right word, but mm. that I don't quite qualify to call myself that because I can get up and walk around and mm. I feel like I'm sort of saying I'm as badly off as someone who maybe doesn't have the use of the legs at all or, you know, something like that. When I struggle to, I know that that is the correct term um, because I I get disability benefits. So it's, it's literally defined. Mm. Um, but the... At the same time, I feel like I'm giving an excuse or making like playing of something more than I am, if that makes sense. Yeah. Completely. I can relate to that completely. I've got a like an invisible illness. So you just you wouldn't know unless I, I told you that that's something that I have. And it does affect my life in lots of different ways, but only ways that probably I would really know about. And finally, Maddie Gunn, head of compliance. She's worked at Life Search since 2005. But I wouldn't look as though I'm disabled or I wouldn't feel as though I could sort of go and go, oh, yeah, you know, 
me over here, I'm disabled, although I fit the criteria for um, qualifying as a disabled person and my condition is a recognised one. Um, not not saying that I don't want to be recognised as disabled because I have no issue with that at all, but just not feeling like I'm disabled enough yeah. to say, oh yeah, over here, that's yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So from that, do you think that the way, I guess we're getting quite, quite deep quite early here, do you think the way that <laughs> our culture, our society views disabled people, enables those potentially negative thoughts or does the opposite? I think the sort of stigma around people who claim to be disabled that probably aren't, that you read about a lot in the news, like, oh, this person was caught in a weightlifting competition after they claim they're in a wheelchair and all that sort of thing, um, which I wish I was joking, but that was one I read. Um, and yeah, just the fact that you're very conscious, you don't want to be pushed into that band, like... If I suddenly jump up out of my seat one day and someone made a comment, oh, I thought you thought you meant to struggle with that. And it's like, yeah, I did it once. I, it's not that I can't do it all the time. It's mm. just 90% of the time I can't do it. So that that in the head, oh, well, he, he could move quickly that one time. Therefore, the rest of it's, he it, it must be exaggerating. Or, but even if the person's not thinking that, that's what I've convinced myself of just because of their comment, if you know what I mean. Mm. So it's, yeah. yeah worrying that you're going to be pushed into that category of the people that literally do take advantage of the system that um, that I shouldn't be. Mm. I, I've certainly got a certain amount of paranoia about it, and I know that in myself, that I don't want to feel judged by that label, if you like. And I, not that I don't... I don't think I've ever got an example of people doing that to me at all. Um, I think that's all in, in my own mind. Um, I'm very aware that that's me, and I'm I'm in my head about it, but... Um, I do have a, a certain level of paranoia of not wanting people to judge me on something that I don't think really should be something you could judge people on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, I think I had um, my very first experience of being treated differently by somebody was when I was like eight years old, I think it was. And I had only come back from speech therapy and went back into class, but I had a substitute teacher in who obviously wasn't aware. And I came into class, he gave out to me for being late. And then I was just like, I had speech therapy. And as soon as I said that word therapy, his like attitude completely switched. And he treated me like I was a dumb child. Mm. And I was just like, this was like my first shock. Mm. Um, but then I come from like our Irish background. When I had TB, when I was a kid, like we have such a hush hush about being sick and everything. You're not mm. sick. You're never sick. You're only sick if you can't get out of the bed. And um, my granny found out that I had TB from our pharmacist rather than through my own mother. <laughs> so I was just like, we don't talk about it, um, which I think also kind of brings in the guilt and the fear of being seen as being lazy and whatnot just from mm. Days yeah. like Saturday, I was working, and because I had to work on a Saturday, I just spent the rest of the day in bed, which just happens every Saturday. Unfortunately, kind of takes too much after a full week. Yeah, yeah. Mm. no, I know what you mean. You hide the bit where you're resting, and yeah, so pe people see the bit where you're up and about, and this and the other, and yeah, it's it's. I think it's well, it's like I noticed it when someone mentioned that because my I started with mobility issues when I was about. I just look at my knee a bunch of times um, and then they did surgery and made a complete hash of it and that's why I've got nerve damage. And 
I noticed people weren't asking me to come and help them move house and, you know, just things like that, which I always been sort of six, well, sort of by 18 by the time it got to the point where it was having a real effect. Mm. And it was, that was weird because I was so used to being the person that, you know, oh, still help sort of thing and blah, blah, blah. And then just noticing that, oh, you did that without me and didn't even mention it. Oh, all right. Okay. It's nice to be asked and say no, I think sometimes <laughs> rather than just yeah. not to be asked. Yeah. So... We've already touched on the subject a bit, but can you tell me exactly what your disability is? Maddie, are you up for going first? Uh, yeah, so I have a, a long-term uh, chronic illness. Um, in the Probably the easiest way to describe it is my body overproduces spinal fluid. So it puts too much pressure in my brain. Um, and as a result, that causes um, damage to my sort of my sight. So I... It's a like a degenerative thing. I'll gradually lose like my peripheral vision, but it affects my balance. It affects my um, spatial awareness. Um, eventually, it will start to affect things like my memory and stuff like that. Um, touch wood at the minute, it doesn't. But I mean, sometimes I can pull that one out of the bag if I've forgotten a birthday, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the medication that comes with it. Uh, the things that give you the worst side effects, unfortunately, and that's the list as long as your arm, which is the difficult thing to juggle. So I get a lot of sort of nausea. Things like travel are really challenging for me um, because the the meds that I have, you can't control your own, um, you can't regulate your body temperature very well. It makes my skin really photosensitive. So I just I burn instantly in the sight of the sun, which is really not very um, ideal. Mm. It does mean things like I can't have a driving license because my vision will just black out from time to time and sometimes it'll last a few seconds sometimes it can last a couple of hours um luckily i haven't had it last for a couple of hours for quite some time now but just a few seconds that's a regular thing and i just have permanent um headaches i've always got a headache um but sometimes they range from just what i would call a normal headache to you know severe migraine level so it it affects lots of different things you you find coping mechanisms and you adapt things like fatigue chronic fatigue is a a big part of this illness because it just exhausts you um getting through the work week by the time you get to the end of the week you just you're done you've kind of given all you've got say um weekends are very much um repair and recovery time sort of thing It, it is about relaxing rather than going out and partying like I used to enjoy. Uh, Steve, do you want to go next? Uh, Yeah, so I, well, I have chronic pain, which basically I had, sort of briefly mentioned there before, I kept dislocating my knee. Um, I did it, I think, 11 times. And uh, so they decided to operate. Um, And unfortunately, when they did, they put a screw through my sciatic nerve. Wow. Um, Both times, (laughs) once on the left and once on the right. Uh, Something to do with the placement not being normal for where it would normally be and that sort of thing. Um, So it didn't get picked up for a while. They just thought I was complaining about post-op pain and until they've realised, referred me through to a pain specialist. Um, So who I've been seeing since I was 17 and I'm now 39. So I've been going a little while. Um, So it's something I've always had more or less as an adult. So it's always been a factor in play in terms of um, what I can do, where I can go, what, that sort of thing. But it's obviously, as you get older, you get less resilient. Mm. And obviously over a long period of time, it can weigh down as well. Plus the meds, again, are not fantastic in terms of side effects and stuff. So I can't drive because I'm basically on strong opiates every day. So they, they tend to frown on that when you're behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> every few years, they offer you some like a psychiatrist to speak to because mm-hmm. I had a spinal cord stimulator put in about... 2008, which is an implant in your back, which regulates the pain through your nerve. 
with the old one, I used to get the sensation of like your phone going off in your pocket, but like everywhere on my legs all at the same time. Um, and then last year, I had a new one put in, um, which is a much better one. It's the difference between putting loud music on to drown out a baby crying and putting noise cancelling headphones on. And it's a lot better. It's not by any means perfect, but it makes things a lot easier. As I was saying, so when when you go for that, they send you through to a psychologist because it, it's an implant in your body and there's a certain amount of, you know, they have to make sure you're not going to freak out and want it taken out in a week or whatever. Mm. Um, and she, just from conversations with me then, um, went through some tests and said that I probably have Asperger's as well, um, which answered a lot of questions um, in terms of um, personality and things like that, um, which I'd put down to pain, being on pain relief and all that sort of thing. So that's been a more recent ad- adaptation. But again, it's the combination of the two that makes things a little bit more challenging day to day. Yes. Um, so like I said earlier, I like to call myself chronically divine. I experience chronic pain and chronic fatigue. I've done it for about 11 years or so. At the moment, what we think it is, is Crohn's, uh, which is fun because I've got a lot of digestive issues. I get ulcers everywhere, um, which is great. I've also got CPTSD, which is essentially a stress disorder and stress and stomach issues don't go well together. I've also got arthritis in my hips and then I got arthritis in my knee after I fell off a climbing wall. So sometimes I have to use crutches. Um, and that's kind of it off the top of my head. There's there's quite a few other concoctions going on there, but without going into them, because sometimes they're a bit gross. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, being very honest, my reaction is just, oh my God, mm-hmm. that's that's such a, between the three of you, it's such a, a massive list of stuff. And I, and I imagine that's a quite a typical reaction from non-disabled people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that helpful? It's understandable. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's yeah. a lot to process, in it, especially when if you'd know the person and didn't know this <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. So it's not uncommon. Yeah, I'm a bit indifferent from it. Sometimes I remember I had a friend stay over about two years ago and it was a weekend that I was flaring really badly. And because it's like an invisible illness is what I have, essentially. Mm. Uh, it was the very first time they've ever experienced me being sick and they were like, wow, like, how are you even alive right now? And it was a bit more validating for myself because sometimes I have that imposter syndrome that we were talking about beforehand that I was like yeah actually like I need to stop being stupid about it and cut myself some slack and actually rest up right now because I'm not doing that because of my internalized ableism yeah okay so so we've already had a, a bit of an example of this but what are the major things that uh non disabled people do that really don't improve your day um for myself a big one Particularly when I'm going through a flare, I'll try to be as tolerant as possible. But when I'm a bit more on edge and just uncomfortable, I know that my kind of temper is a bit shorter. I hate being told that, like, I hope you get well or I hope you get better because it's a chronic illness. Like, it's, yeah. it's chronic. Um, and I've had to grieve myself and my past life and accept that it's always going to be this way. Um, so I'm like, mm, it's not. It's just my normal. So I don't need that sympathy but I understand that like you probably don't feel you're probably that uncomfortable that you don't know what to say and it's the only thing you think that you can say yeah I find that at like parties and weddings and things where you see people you don't see very often it's the first thing they ask how the legs or how's the back it's like well as I told you the last four times that it's going to be like this forever (laughs) 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 it's it's not a great deal different but I think that that is definitely an annoyance because it's 
I don't mind being asked if I'm all right, because it's nice to know that someone's consider it. It's just don't make it the first thing you ask me every time you see me and mm-hmm. maybe ask me something different another time. Or, you know, like there's 900 other things going on in my life. Just maybe mention them first or, you know, some changes the subject. Yeah, because yeah. our disabilities are part of our identity, but they are not our identity. Um, they are not who yeah, we are. Absolutely. I think exactly that. I would agree. And I think sometimes people, they don't know what to say. So they say something rather than just thinking about, I don't know, so how did that kid go you went to last week? It's just, yeah. oh, how are you feeling? How's your condition? How's this? And because they know it's something about you and they think, oh, I better check in on that. And they just sort of... Mm panic mode into it rather than yeah. thinking actually do you know what they probably don't want to talk about that it is every day it is you know it's not going to change it isn't going away let's let's talk about some good stuff yeah. but i i've been I, I also don't need people to fix me either i've been told have you tried eye drops have you have yeah. you tried this what about if you do that no you're not my you neurologist it's really not gonna it's yeah. not gonna work <laughs> It's, it's like like you'd have just given up, you know, like, oh, three things didn't work. So at least, generally speaking, if there's something that everybody knows about, yeah. you've probably tried it. It's all <laughs> so, done with the best intentions. Yeah, exactly. Really but, is, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm the expert. <laughs> My favourite one was I was told to try apple cider vinegar after seven years of chronic UTIs. And I was like, I think I'm going to listen to the healthcare professional right now. <laughs> Thanks, though. <laughs> Everybody's a doctor yeah. of some kind, especially in this job. <laughs> oh, I think a big one as well is when people tell you that you don't look sick. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's a really big one, which just doesn't need to be said. Because mm. um, I think they're trying to, like, make you feel better about it. Because, oh, you mm-hmm. don't look sick. You don't look that bad. So, like, it's okay. But again, that's an internalized ableism thing. Um, right there, you're kind of telling them that not looking sick is the better option when in reality. Yeah. You're kind of sick all the time and it's part of it being an invisible illness is that you're not going to see it. Definitely. I find it's weird with things like that, like say on a bus if you get on and me stood there, unless you saw me drag up the stairs, um, you wouldn't really notice that I was walking any different or anything because I've made a concerted effort to make that the case. Mm. So it sort of backfires though because quite often you'll see lots of very able-bodied people sitting down and I don't feel like I can say do you mind if I take your seat? I'm really struggling to stand up here yeah. because they'll look at me yeah. and think, well, he's like 30 odd years old and he looks fine sort of thing. So I tend to just hang on to the thing and and, and stand there for the rest of the journey sort of thing. So it, it kind of works two ways. One, that, like you say, you get people asking you, saying, telling you all the time you look okay, but at the same time, looking okay means that sometimes some considerations which might have been nice don't get offered out, which can... Again, it's not really blaming anyone because it's not their fault. Uh, it's just frustrating. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's my fault too because I'm quite private about some stuff, so I don't mm. always share it and don't, I don't always offer it up about myself either because yeah. I don't particularly want to. Like it's it's not the first thing people should should or need to know about me. So yeah, sometimes I probably don't do myself favors with. Yeah, I'd feel I feel I developed a stubbornness which you kind of need when you're dealing with some sort of. A, Something along this line, you need to be able to just grit your teeth and crack on. Mm. But at the same time, it can sort of count against you because you're stubborn in the fact that you could probably do something to help yourself, but no one else is needing to do that. So why should I do that? And it's like, yeah, what am I proving? Who am I proving it to? <laughs> so I think exactly. it's, it's, yeah. And so your experience within within Life Search uh, and how Life Search handles this as a company, what what's being done well and what isn't being done so well? I mean, I've always had generally positive experience in terms of I was up front in my, because I knew when I interviewed like five years ago that I was going to need surgery again in the next few years. So I mentioned that and I 
from going through a lot of interviews, I feel like that was probably off-putting to a lot of companies because um, the reasons I was given for not getting jobs were a bit odd. Um, but then they were fine and they were just like, yeah, but we you know we appreciate that up front. Um, and I don't think it paid any part in their decision towards taking me on. The only thing that makes me very nervous, when you start, I believe it's um, 10 days sick pay you get oh, and then it goes up to 15 um, after a certain number of years. Sure. And then obviously obviously that 15 days is taking you up to three working weeks. And I believe the income protection starts at 12 weeks. I've never actually been, on, been off that long touch wood, so I, it's mm. never kicked in. But there's the, whatever it is, two and a, two and a week month gap between yeah. getting your last six weeks pick pay and the start of your um, income protection. I have absolutely no plans for it to, for me to end up the surgery going wrong and end up having to be off for three months, four months or whatever else. But I can't say it definitely won't. <laughs> so it, it it can make me a little... But at the same time, I get why you can't just have indefinite sick for everybody because it, it, life doesn't work like that and companies wouldn't survive if that was the case sort of thing. So that's the the, the slightly nerve-wracking bit. And again, it's like I, I think I've probably had less sick than a lot of, like, say, healthy people, you know what I mean, generally yeah, speaking, yeah, sure. for just colds and coughs and things. Sure. I think a lot of people would find themselves in that position, being honest, a lot of people don't have savings to fall back on anymore or mm. you're only two paychecks away from homelessness or something like that, isn't it? The, the tagline they, they use. So if if you were to lose your income because of your sick pay running out and waiting for that income protection policy to kick in, which is a great policy that we've got, you know, once it does kick in, there is a gap to cover. And if you haven't got enough savings to bridge it or family that can help out for that period of time, it is a genuine concern for people like us that do have those long-term chronic sort of illnesses or conditions that you it does factor into your thinking it's something that's always in the back of my mind okay well the benefits that I get through my job how can I use those if something was ever to go luckily I've never had to rely on them touch with but that's not to say that won't ever be the case I think um if you've worked in a job before life search as well there is a bit of a culture shock that comes with it um because I do think life search have this amazing attitude towards it I remember in my interview I said that I needed a standing desk and without any questions I was given a standing desk on my first day, uh, where in my last job, I do actually have quite a bit of trauma surrounding my last job, uh, what to do with all my medical stuff. They stopped me from going to the toilet and it made me very, very sick. And I had to take two months off work because of it, despite the fact that I told them that if you stop me going to the toilet, I'm going to get sick. Mm. So it was that kind of pressure where sometimes you might be too sick or have too much of a flare to work that one day and it's better to have that one day off and then have a good week of actual productive activity than having a whole week off and then your team is left picking up and, and whatnot. But there's so much stress that comes in from other companies because you don't want to be too sick to work and X, Y and Z that you know, myself, when I've got like a stress condition that actually triggers my chronic condition and it becomes into a vicious circle. Um, having that kind of relief here, I think I was having a flare or something one day when I was working in Leeds and my TC was amazing. And she was like, no, you need to go home because it's better for you to go back tomorrow and have a good day of work. And just having that kind of understanding was a huge thing that I was just like, uh, I've taken like the least amount of sick days of my life working in this company just because I don't have that pressure. Um, and it has a huge build-up effect. I was diagnosed whilst working at LifeSearch. So I've only ever experienced disability at this company um, and was fully supported from the moment that it happened and, um, you know, was given 
um, the support I needed to um, just sort of find my way with it, find my own sort of um, coping mechanisms once we discovered what was going on and what I needed to do and just sitting in the right places in the office so that I wasn't under too much electric light and I had enough, you know, daylight and things like that and um, being able to sort of spend a, a day a week at home just to get away from the, the noise and the, the bustle of it all to give my head some sort of time to catch up and relax when my headaches were bad and things like that but still be able to be productive and effective with my work and all of that kind of thing so I've not luckily thankfully for me I've not had a negative experience with mm. with it in the workplace and for, for me that's you know all credit to life search yeah, yeah. I think the first time I realized it when I started I tend to it's a not the same, but a similar thing, like a cycle. The more tired I get, the more pain I am. The more pain yeah. I am, the less I can sleep. And yeah. it goes on and it yeah. triggers spells of insomnia. Um, and it was when I just first started, so I was like, right, I do not want to be off. Yeah, of course. So, and then manage at the time, Steph, just after a few days, says, you look knackered. <laughs> um, it's like, are you all right? And I, I explained, and she said, well, just take, right, we'll book you in two days holiday. You're not off sick, as far as I'm, you know, you're on holiday. Um, we can manage uh, with that because we weren't full calendars yet or anything like that. Um, I took a couple of days off, slept like a dog, and then came back and smashed it for the next, you know, I wasn't off again, I don't think, for another three or four years. So, Great. yeah, it was just nice because at my old place, which I, it was a very big company, they see it as, oh, so you've got insomnia then. And I thought it was chronic pain. It's like, it's they've got a box to tick. Mm. And it's like, well, I can't, yeah. you know, it's, it's one or the other. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. It's... No, that one day and this, and, yeah, this causes yeah. that and this causes that. But whereas here it was a much more like sort of rational approach to it, if that makes sense, um, which was nice to see. Mm. I also like the fact that it was the, the no questions asked approach as well when I asked yeah. for my standing desk, because like when you have spent the majority of your life or at least adult life living with a chronic condition, it's so tiring having to go to like a new GP or something like that and explaining, like you go in with like a four page essay as to what you've got. Um, you teach and then, them about the condition that you've yes. got and your history, don't you? Um, like one of the reasons I actually moved over to the UK was the year that I, the last year in Ireland, I think I spent about three grand on my healthcare because we don't have like the NHS and going to just a GP visit is 60 euro. Um, and so I moved over here for the NHS. So I'm one of those immigrants who's uh, abusing the system. <laughs> but it was uh, it was really, really exhausting having to go through three GPs, which is also like really lucky that it was only three GPs, just explaining the whole system and then starting it from route one all over again. I keep offering appointment letters to show I'm really going to them and they're like, no, it's, it's okay, we, 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 know, we believe you. <laughs> I think I asked if I needed to give a doctor's note once and my TC at the time was like, why? It's, it's, it's just nice to be trusted. There's a lot of conversation on at the moment about working from home and how with the pandemic touch wood coming to an end, how that working from home, not for life search, but for, for other places might cease. <laughs> Can you talk about how what that lack of flexibility and making you guys come into the office, how that would affect your life? For me, I think um, I enjoy having um, a mix of being in the office environment and at home, as I mentioned before, just to give me um, that quiet space to get my head down and focus. Or if I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, you know, I've had a heavy week and, 
you know, I need some time out from the noise and the bustle because the Milton Keynes office, it's very open plan, it's very loud. Um, it can get quite noisy in there. And when you're trying to concentrate or if you're getting towards the end of the week and like me, your headaches have got worse and worse as the week goes on, it's sometimes you need that quiet space. Sure. Um, for me, the, the, the biggest difference is the travel because I used to, you know, go up and down to the different offices or in and out of London for mm. conferences and things like that that were happening. And since I've stopped doing that level of travel, it's always something that's challenged me since my condition because of the the way my sort of um, condition and my medication interact with travel and things like that. I've been able to decrease the amount of medication I was taking because the effects of the travel haven't been so bad. So I'm nervous about increasing that again. Mm. Um, so that's something for me to really think about and think actually how how much do I need to do going forward mm. and how much can I continue doing virtually? Because mm. what I really would like to not have to do is whack all those meds back up again if I don't have to. Of course. But there's a, there's a balance and, you know, I appreciate that. There's certain yeah. things I need to do for, you know, for the job for myself and, you know, things that I also want to keep a, a balance on. Yeah, so just... Just to be clear, you getting on the train and going down to London and doing a day's work in London and then getting on the train and going back will cause your condition to worsen. Yeah, I couldn't use the tubes before. I've had several instances where I've been close to just passing out, where I've just been too hot. I can't regulate my body temperature. I've been too claustrophobic yeah. because my um, spatial awareness is a real issue. I've, I've got... Um, like I get palpitations, everything, it just, it goes crazy. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the opposite end of the scale, for example, heading up to Leeds, which I really enjoy doing because I get to see people that I don't see very often. Mm. I'm fine if I can do it in a car. I get travel sickness, but I've got meds I can take for that. Um is if I have to do it on a train, it's such a long journey. And the the train that goes from Milton Keynes to get you up to uh, Manchester, where you have to change over, is one of those pendolinos. And it just makes me so sick where I've got the nausea anyway from my medication that okay. balanced with the, the motion of the train. It, it just makes me poorly. So I spend the first few hours just trying to recompose myself. So the way my coping mechanism for that before was to travel up in the evening or the afternoon before the day I needed to actually be there to do work and stop over the night before so that I'd wake up fresh and have a full day of feeling okay and to do the work. So using up the spoons, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. I knew someone would bring the spoons up because I love that one. <laughs> Spoon <laughs> theory is the winner you only have so many spoons to spend in a day um like in your tank sort of thing and if you have Mm -hmm. to do this you have to spend a couple of extra spoons so then that takes away the energy you'd have for the evening and that sort of thing so it's just like using the fuel in different places sort of thing yeah just to add one tiny detail into steve's explanation if you live with chronic pain say you wake up with less spoons or energy than if you were to live without chronic pain. It is an excellent analogy used throughout disabled communities and it is well worth a Google if you want to learn more. That transfer in Manchester is horrible as well because you have to like yeah. get from one train to another in like four minutes and it's, yeah, it's like terrifying. Three and a half minutes and then they change the platform when there's one minute to go and you have to go to the other side of the station. <laughs> very, especially when I, I can't run. It's just something I can't do. No. Uh, I can't move very quickly. I can sh- my, my friends affectionately call it my, call it my Quasimodo walk where I, do you know the <laughs> film where it would not down where he shuffles along? Yeah. Um, but which they mean in good theories. But um, yeah, that's if I need to move quickly, I have to move like that and... I don't like doing that in the middle of a train station. So it's, <laughs> no. luckily, though, in terms of I worked in the office full time prior to this um, because I live on, well, live or lived on my own. And it's 
kind of boring and I didn't yeah. I almost didn't trust myself to work at home because all my stuff's here um, but I was pleasantly surprised when we had to that it actually had no effect whatsoever I was able to just shut off and mm. I'm definitely going to keep doing it at least half the week especially I don't know the people in the winter it affects my my pain a lot mm. it's a weird thing because they say that it's inside of your body is the same temperature all the time so it shouldn't make a difference but um, it does it makes a big difference standing in the cold waiting for the bus and all that sort of thing so being able to do that more in the winter now, I I am, I will definitely still go in the office because I miss seeing people and the people who, you know, like having conversations that aren't recorded um, and that sort of thing, you know <laughs> what I mean. Um, and um, But at the same time, I'll definitely take advantage of working from home. Yeah. yeah. I kind of want to say working from home, if I'm completely honest with you. I think the last year has taken the excuse a lot of companies used for not hiring people or not being accessible, not to let people working from home who needed to work from home. I've got quite a lot of friends who are also, you know, um, have chronic illnesses and X, Y, and Z, and they're under so much stress, so much stress, so much stress and pressure, just putting those two words together, <laughs> um, that they were just so worried about calling in sick or not being able to work from home. But then in the last year, because we've had this um, new kind of way of living and working happen and it's made, made accessible, it's made so many more people be able to do the jobs that they're all completely capable of doing. Um, it infuriates me that it's taken until it was only impacting able-bodied people that this became a normalised yeah. thing because it should have been normalized beforehand. Life search, they definitely had it normalized. I was working from home like a week before lockdown happened because I was in the middle of a flare. Um, but now for myself coming back in, I work so much better on my own because I like my own company. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think that witch in the middle of the woods, as I grow older, that storyline <laughs> is ever more appealing to me. Um, but it's also, I've got anxiety. So I'm, I'm very weird. It's my ADD. I'm aware that I'm weird. So sometimes going into an office filled with people who I don't necessarily know in the same way as I would know my closest friends. I'm like, I'm just on essentially. So yeah. I'll burn out more. And when I burn out more, I get more tired. It triggers my chronic fatigue. My chronic fatigue will trigger my chronic pain. If I get more run down, I'm more open to picking up, um, you know, anything that's going on. I was sick so much. Yeah. And now I have had the last year of just not getting sick and it's been beautiful. <laughs> and I've yeah. been given a quality of life back. That's just been like amazing. I've got loads of energy to go up and reconstruct a whole allotment because of the kind of privilege that we've been given of being able to work from home and just having that extra two hours in bed. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I find it, especially like you were saying with the conversation thing, the learning it was asked which was good because not everyday conversation, but quite often I'm thinking, what would someone say now? Not what am I thinking? If that means saying, mm. what, what is the normal thing to say to this? And it's absolutely exhausting to try and second guess what you're about to say all the time, just in case it's not, if it's going to go down weirdly or something. So just like you say, just the day to day of choosing when I have a conversation or choosing when I interact has been great. I'm still going to push myself to go to the office to have those conversations because mm. you've got to push yourself out of the comfort zone a bit. Yeah. But it's nice to have the fallback um, to just know that I can come in, totally. get on with my work all day, finish my day, go and sit on the sofa or whatever else. You know. One of the positives of working from home is that I've had days where I've literally had to have a nap and you wouldn't be able to do that in the office. Um, whereas mm. I can go and spend my whole lunch break 
just sleeping and then I come back and it's like a new day yeah (laughs) which which sounds like it's something that's really unprofessional but it's not if it's on your lunch break and you can come back and you're doing the same 110% that you're doing yeah it's efficient use of your own time it's a great way of using what you've got available Mm-hmm. sometimes I'll have a shower to reset myself um mm-hmm. because I'll get so tired and it's like one of these little it's when fork theory comes into the spoon theory situation mm-hmm. I've done that a lot just to refresh myself yeah. wipe away that horrible feeling and just start again it's yeah. sometimes it's really good in the middle of the day just to have a fresh and get going again yeah completely I find you you break more on your lunches as well if you're off, um, like you'll sit and maybe watch something on telly or something as opposed to when you're at work you don't really switch off for that hour because you no. think yeah I've got to go back I've got to go back and it's just different when you're at home. Okay, so coming to an end now. Moving forward for for all those people listening, what is the single thing that you would like them to remember? I'd say be aware of it, but don't pity it. Mm. We were saying before about you don't have to ask them how they are every day and things, but at the same time if they want to tell you about something listen to it. So it's yeah, it's, it's very hard to not think of yourself as down a step down a level from everybody else, which it's not, it's just you're on a different set of stairs. I think for me it's just a continuing that whole be kind message, like everybody is just as important as each other just as valuable as each other um, and just as equal as each other, so just remember that and um, keep that in mind when you see someone struggling, help them, mm-hmm. treat people as you would want them to treat you and look out for each other. I don't think that's really disability related. But... I think it's it's following on from the year that we've had in particular, it's, it's a big one for me is just to don't be afraid to educate yourself just because it doesn't happen to you doesn't mean that it doesn't happen and it helps like that from educating yourself. It also means that you can actually treat people the way that they should be treated and not pity them. Don't be like my second class substitute teacher who treated me completely <laughs> different. That one day I came up late because I had speech therapy. Yeah, absolutely. We're all exactly the same in that nobody is exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems like a very good place to end it. Thanks so much to Steve, Fee and Maddie. If you have any questions or didn't understand something, then they are only one email away and are happy to take your questions. All right, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Nice seeing you. Cheers. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Searching for Elephants is mixed and composed by Patrick Bagri, and the show was created and edited by me, Angus Bagri.